what does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we talk about a comic or graphic novel of our choice. I am your primary host for this week, Anne. I'm Alexis. And I'm your tertiary host, Dallas. Beautiful. Starting off with big words today. It's great because we're going to need it because, you know, this is probably going to be the most in-depth literary review we've done on this on this entire show so far. Um, we've talked a lot of comics in the past. We've talked Spider-Man. We've talked, um, you know, X-Men. We've talked Aquaman that one time that I was really lucky to talk Aquaman because they wanted me on the show. And then I got on the show. And we never talked about the Aquaman beginning. ever she again. Us. She tricked Do us. What? Yeah. You tricked us. It was the one time. <sighs> I will never get away with that again. But this is the first time on this show that we are taking a bit of a step outside of our, not to say comfort zone, but our typical batting box. And we are trying a comic strip this week, which is different in some ways and very, very similar in others. We read for this week the first two two or three years of Calvin and Hobbes strips, the essential Calvin and Hobbes. If you want to go and check out specifically which strips we did, all of them are collected in that collection. It's absolutely wonderful. I've had this book personally since I was maybe like 10 years old. Um, yeah, it's, it's a little beat up, but she's just as beautiful as the day I lost her. This was certainly a fun experience in Dallas. I want to pass it to you first, since Lexi is not here. Um, <laughs> what is your experience with Calvin and Hobbes? When did you first get introduced to this comic? And was it the first like Sunday strip you remember? Or were there others that predated it? So Calvin and Hobbes, for me, existed largely as isolated strips that I was shown and saw and enjoyed. It wasn't mm -hmm. one that I followed. whereas. Uh, Far Side was something that I religiously read at diners throughout Utah in collections because at the tables, I don't know what it was, but it like small town diners in Utah, they always had a little spinner rack of Far Side collected comic strips. And I are? read the shit out of those and I loved them and it formed my warped sense of humor. To this day. And so Calvin and Hobbes has always been something I'm very fond of, but wasn't necessarily a vital part of my childhood. Like my comic book origin story is very much tied up in Far Side comics and Die Over Wimpy Kid comics. <laughs> like Ooh, those two made me the man I am today. And before I pass over to Alexis, I do want to say while this is the first comic strip we're covering. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to be the last. I had a blast with this. And I do want to say little history lesson for the listener. Mm -hmm. If you aren't aware, comic books were originally just collections of comic strips. It's so like comics and the comics you have today, they began as comic strips. And if you want to look at some of the finest visual storytelling, the finest comic book storytelling ever created, the comic strips are absolutely somewhere you should go. I really enjoyed reading interviews from Bill Watterson this week. And he talked about how his favorite way for people to experience his comic 
was in these big collections because the panels could be large enough to see his artwork that he worked so hard on. And you could actually see the stories because while there are definitely isolated strips, there would be pages in here where there was a narrative for that week, right? Six pan, six mm-hmm. strips in a row that told a story and then the big Sunday splash. So it was really fun to explore the roots of our medium that we love so much and then just see a master at work. I'm excited to talk more about it as we go. Oh, I'm so, so ready. Lexi, I'm going to pass it over to you. What has been your, what was your pre- previous experience with Calvin and Hobbes and Sunday comic strips in general? Absolutely. I got a doozy for you. Flashback to 13-year-old Lexi, who was not allowed to have social media on her little iPod, her iPod touch that was pink. Love it. Um, But I was allowed to have Pinterest. Pinterest was the gateway to all these goofy little comic strips because I was like, funny comedy pictures on Pinterest. And that was it. That's all I would search. I was like, I got to have some content. Give me something. And Calvin and Hobbes was one of the top contenders. So I know this little rapscallion and his punk-ass tiger friend. Love them. Love these two. They are wonderful. They have followed, I feel like lurked in the background, followed in the background for a long time in my life. And although I can say they did not get nearly enough of attention as Bone did, which we have already covered, which was my gateway into the quote-unquote comic world um they for sure have been around for a long time for me and i was really excited to read a big collection of all their goofy little shenanigans love that i absolutely love that were there any other comics that you got exposed to through pinterest that you can remember or was it just calvin and Hobbes? i want to say it was just calvin and Hobbes that was like designated comic strips Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll have to go back into my depth. I have to dive back into those good old Pinterest boards that I've still got. It's like a time capsule in there. That would be wonderful. I I can't wait for you to report back on what you find. Very, very excited. I know just me personally, Calvin and Hobbes has always been a part of my life. At least that's the way it feels. It's one of those things that I got handed from my dad that I just kind of always hung on to. It's like Calvin and Hobbes. Star Wars, um, <laughs> just that collection of things where it's like, I look at this and I immediately think about him and just having that shared experience. And it, that just means the world to me. Calvin and Hobbes, I would read a lot when I was younger and I would get really into Sunday comic strips. My library had like a great selection that I'd just go pull a bunch of collection, um, collective volumes from. I'd read so much Farside. I would read so much um, Zitz. I would read so much... Um, Shudder, Dilbert, gross, sorry. Um, Didn't get it as a kid. Don't want to get it now. Very, very fun. But I think my favorite comic strip when I was growing up, it became the comic strip Foxtrot by Bill Amend. I thought it was just, I don't know, something about the dynamic of that family spoke to me and it stuck with me for so long. Jason, their youngest son, who was such a big nerd, was such such a great character for me to latch on to. And it's just crazy that I, I like never followed newspapers when I was younger. I've read them all in these giant collected editions. And it's so hard for me to imagine these stories outside of that, like <laughs> trying to get it one at a time. You think waiting month to month for the resolution of a story is bad. Try waiting every single day for the next four pictures of your comic strip. 
there's it's it's crazy what they managed to get away with and i have um my brother has been kind enough to lend me his complete um calvin and Hobbes collection that i've been able to peruse and it's been very very helpful and it's really put into perspective just like how much work doing a daily cartoon strip is just you have to send bill watterson was talking about how in when he was doing it, you'd have to mail things out weeks, months in advance, and then you'd have to wait, you know, days to figure out if any of the strips were even approved. You'd have to then redo those strips. You'd have to pick something. And it's so important to pick something going into it that's going to stay original and fresh for more than two or three months. Because it was so, so common for comic strips to just teeter out and expire after a few months because the writers would run out of ideas. And that's so I think it really speaks volumes to just the influence and the impact that this comic had over a 10 year time period to where this book that existed only in newspapers and physical collections with absolutely no merchandise, no media, nothing but its original format to, for to branch out the way it did and have the impact it did like there you you'd be hard pressed to find people that don't know the name calvin and Hobbes that have never seen a single strip of this in their entire lives it would be i'd be willing to wager pretty impossible it's absolutely insane and wanting to get into that more um (laughs) i i'm trying to think the best place to go after this where it's like reading through this collection what did what were the things about this comic that stand out the most to both of you? Oh, Dallas, you already have your hand up. I'm going to pass to you. <laughs> I want to share Charles Schultz's forward from mm-hmm, the Essential Collection. Charles Schultz, listener, if you are unaware, is the cartoonist behind Charlie Brown, another one of my favorite comic strips of all time. I was first introduced to Charlie Brown through the animated movies, that are very near and dear to my heart. And Bill Watterson talked a lot about how Charles Schultz and the Peanuts were an inspiration for Calvin and Hobbes. So I like this forward a lot, and I think it serves as a good segue into us talking about it. Bill Watterson draws wonderful bedside tables. I admire that. He also draws great water splashes and living room couches and chairs and lamps and yawns and screams and all the things that make a comic strip fun to look at. I like the thin little arms on Calvin and his shoes that look like dinner rolls. Drawing in a comic strip is infinitely more important than we may think, for our medium must compete with other entertainments, and if a cartoonist does nothing more than illustrate a joke, he or she is going to lose. Calvin and Hobbes, however, contains hilarious pictures that cannot be duplicated in other mediums. In short, it is fun to look at, and that is what made Bill's work such an admirable success. And I think that is a really kind forward from one of the masters of the craft. And ultimately, in an era where adaptation seems to come first, I feel it is incredibly poignant and powerful to reflect on Calvin and Hobbes and the integrity of Bill Watterson to keep his characters not as commodities or products, but as art within an intended medium. I think... My admiration for Bill Watterson skyrocketed this week from the man who made Calvin and Hobbes, which is an accomplishment in and of itself, to the man who chose to walk away from Calvin and Hobbes when his story was complete 
and the man who has left tens of millions of dollars on the table to keep the integrity of his strip. Mm-hmm. His strip that has so much to say about American life, about masculinity, about capitalism and consumerism, all wrapped up in a story about a six-year-old child and his tiger, who is not an imaginary friend, by the way. Bill was very firm <laughs> on that over and over mm-hmm. again, which I also loved. I was just consistently shocked at how much Bill Watterson reminded me of Alan Moore. It could be that both of them are in my head a lot lately. I've been reading mm-hmm. a lot of Alan Moore interviews, been watching his Maestro series, and then I read a bunch of Bill Watterson. I was like, you two are the gangsters. I want to be just like you two when I grow up. <laughs> Ooh, I can't wait for you to be that crotchety old man who's like, you will not touch my stuff with a 10-yard pole. You will not do it. It is mine. I was going to be so mad when we're poor because I don't believe in adaptations. <laughs> Love that for you, <laughs> you bitter, bitter old man. Um, I feel like for me, flipping through these over the past week ish, um, I constantly go back in my mind. Like the first thing in my mind that pops up is the damn uh, strips where they're out playing in the snow. I don't know if mm-hmm. it's just because I'm so ridiculously depressed at how much snow is in Utah right now. But I was like, oh, look, I remember when snow used to be fun and didn't make me want to harm someone or myself. <laughs> so the the specifically the little slides where he is inside of a snow fort with Hobbs and they're like, we are impenetrable. You cannot get us. <laughs> and then Hobbs pelts him in the back of the head with the <laughs> snowball. I just think that that's so funny. And I for <laughs> sure believe something like that's happened in my life. So it just makes me want to die. It's so funny. It's like, um, just going off that, speaking of wanting to die, this is the first time I've revisited this comic strip as an adult. Because, like, I read this all the way through, like, my later years of elementary school, um, middle school, early high school. And then I just kind of, you know, I put it aside for a little bit. And coming back to it with that perspective was so interesting, nostalgic, And a little sad at the same time, because I'm going through all these situations that Hobbes gets into just in his mind. And I remember thinking, like, how um, relatable that was, how how interesting it was, how much his imagination reminded me of my own. And then looking back at it, I'm like, I haven't been like this in so long. My brain has not worked in this way in so long. The world used to feel so much bigger and it's it's one of those things where it's just like it's absolutely insane how well bill watterson captured that that essence that spirit that magic genie in a lamp like it's (laughs) i don't think there's anything else like it that's made me go back after I become an adult and instead of saying like, well, that, yeah, I guess that's not exactly how it was being like, I don't know how you managed to get this so right. And to immediately with the snap of your fingers, pull me right back to that place. Like there are situations in here where it's like, I remember doing this when I was a kid. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly what I was doing. And it's just a time capsule in comic form. And there's, it's, got this soul to it that just a lot of other work doesn't and it's absolutely incredible and i'm we can get into it more just the details that i notice as an adult that i didn't notice as a kid and 
because I thought this was going to be a fast read, but this took me many hours to get through because I just found myself staring at different panels. It was it was wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I think it's really interesting, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this and Bone as parallel mm-hmm. texts inspired by Peanuts. I mean, I remember when we talked with Jeff Smith, he specifically mentioned that forward from Charles Schultz about little feet that look like dinner rolls and how much he loved that and how much he liked Calvin and Hobbes and could see that they were pulling from the same source material. And I strangely reading this appreciated bone so much more. Mm -hmm. And just this idea of slapstick comics that ultimately have more to say than many of our overwrought serious comics. And like, I, I think about these six day series about the little raccoon that died and Calvin and Hobbes going through those emotions and ending on the beat of Calvin asking Hobbes, like, are never go away? Like, will you ever die? And Hobbes assures him, I will not. Mm -hmm. And I think it's easy to condense these strips into like Charles Schultz said, illustrated punchlines, but they're not. And I found myself bouncing off some of the four panel strips at first because I didn't realize that they were starting to become more and more serialized. I was like, Mm -hmm. what was, what was the joke in that four? And I was like, oh, it's not always about a joke. Like this is serialized storytelling. This is cartooning. And the punchline, if there's no punchline right there, That means there's going to be an even heavier punchline a little while later. And that became a really cool experiment. And it made me think a lot about just how much foresight had to go into the creation of these from Watterson. Mm -hmm. Only give you four panels at a time and keep it interesting enough that you come back every single day until that punch. Yeah. You know, I'm... Just, I want to bounce off that real fast. I'm sorry, Lexi. I feel like I've been talking a lot. I'm no, going to pass it to you okay. as soon as I'm done with this. But I feel like there's a big tendency. I'm not sure if you guys notice this too, but for people to definitely undervalue art if it has a style that they immediately peg as something juvenile, where it's like animation as an art form is so often devalued and put aside as something childish and something that isn't you know, a medium that can give the same sort of depth and emotion that like live action can, or that comics, you know, as a whole are something that doesn't have the same intellectual value as like a novel or even movies. I've, I've seen that a lot. And I think um, there's actually a part in this forward that I wanted to read from Bill Watterson, where he talks about that a bit. And he said, I didn't start out thinking of cartoons as any kind of art. Growing up, art seemed impenetrable. Who makes art? What does it mean? Who is it for? I had no background, no access, no interest. Cartoons were just the opposite. Anyone can make pictures like these. I liked cartoons because they weren't art. They were just funny. I gradually took cartooning more seriously as I went along, but it was only years later as I drew Calvin and Hobbes that the issue of art had any urgency. When I saw the editors would squeeze, stretch, and cut my drawings to fit the space they allotted... And when I saw that I had no final control over whether my characters appeared in boxer shorts or not, I was stunned that publishers would mess around 
with someone else's creation. Suddenly, I was defending my writing and drawing as an art. And I just, I, I thought that was really, really cool. That it's like, I think a lot of different forms of art have that same pull where it's like, just looking at it, you don't see that the the weight that it can have but once you get involved once you start messing with it once you start learning about it things really open up and you start to understand that there really isn't any form of art that can't be just as expressive and emotional as the other and i kind of wanted to to pass this off to you lexi just what sort of emotions did you feel going through this book what was what was going through your mind I feel like actually something that caught me by the most surprise, I would say. I mean, we see a couple of uh, colored versions. Every Mm -hmm. once in a while, one will get tossed in. And every single time I see one of those colored versions, it like smacks me in the face how much Calvin actually reminds me of my little brother, AJ. Like he looks exactly like AJ when he was small. And specifically, I can't remember what story it was. But it was one of the, like, monster under the bed situations where he's sitting in bed with Cal- with uh, Hobbs and he just has, like, this little evil look on his face. And I was like, oh, yeah, that was our little brother right there, right before he had the Star Wars Night Terrors that gave Dallas drama. <laughs> I was his Hobbs. I was the big dude it's next true. to him in bed. It's true. <laughs> trauma. Trauma from <laughs> Star Wars. But... I don't know. I just feel like you can't go through reading um, any of these and not feel nostalgic in some type of way. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I remember when I did that. I remember when a sibling did that. Like, I remember this feeling. And I just feel like that's so wholesome to have as, like, an adult now. Like, we're adults. I mean, we still get to read comic books for fun as a hobby. It's a lifestyle. Um, But it's just fun to just – be kind of silly every once in a while. It's like, it's a good reminder of like our core values, why we like what we like. And sometimes it's okay to have head empty thoughts about a very Mm -hmm. important comic book. Thank you. Exactly. (laughs) It's okay to read Watchmen and think the movie costume for Silk Spectre is sexier. You know, I don't know what to say. Head empty. What are you leaning in Dallas? You got something to say? Save it for next week. Head empty. (laughs) But it's amazing how much emotion is on these faces. They're so, so expressive. Um, Dallas, you're usually the the go-to art guy. Do you have any specific comments or observations about Bill Watterson's art? I think Bill Watterson truly does capture what Charles Schultz is saying in that his artwork is so precise and transcendent that I am having a hard time figuring out how to talk about it. I've been looking at the same four panel process of Hobbs pitching a ball, Calvin whacking that ball, Calvin being confused that the ball didn't go anywhere. And then yelling, tell me this isn't a spitball pointing at the ball stuck to his bat. And I've been sitting here somewhat rudely while Alexis was talking, trying to figure out how I was going to describe this artwork and i am coming up short there is so much raw talent being depicted in these panels that like Anne said you can spend any amount of time on every single panel 
and be swept up in the cartooning. I think there is a difference between an artist, an illustrator, and a cartoonist. And I think cartoonist is the greatest compliment that you can pay a comic book artist. Because Alan Moore, talking about comics, says that comics are a special medium because there are two tracks happening, both independently and simultaneously. You have the art track that is telling a story, and then you have the dialogue and narration, the words track that is telling a story. And they can either work together in concert, they can juxtapose each other. And a truly great comic is when those two tracks do something that couldn't happen in any other medium. And I think Calvin and Hobbes time and time again demonstrate how impossible it would be to be anything other than a comic for this. The comedy, the drama, the narrative is wrapped up so entirely in the comic book medium. And it's incredible. Exactly. I mean, how better to put that than a picture of Calvin ice cream scooping chunks out of snowmen (laughs) and having another snowman eat it. That's beautiful. Art. (laughs) I also, I think there's a certain amount of Calvin and Hobbes that you can see reading just a year straight of this like we did, where you can see that this is something that Bill Watterson is doing to make himself happy as well. Exactly. I think sometimes when we take a step back and we look at art, we see them as these great accomplishments where things like kill your darlings, right? Things are left on the cutting room floor. But comics, being a deadline medium, have to turn something in. And Bill Watterson had to turn something in every single day. And so to stay on top of burnout and getting bored over the course of the 10 years he did this, there were times he's like, I want to draw an alligator. How can I make... (laughs) An alligator story. And, oh, Calvin is floating around in the pool all funny. But it's three panels of drawing this really gnarly, cool-looking alligator. Right? Or all of the Spaceman Spiff comics. That was one Mm -hmm. of his original comics that did not get picked up for syndication. And so he just sort of Trojan horses it into Calvin and Hobbes. Like, I wanted to do a sci-fi strip, and you guys told me no. And so every once in a while, I'm just going to do one. And I just, you can see the love. And again, it really sells that Bill Watterson walked away when he felt like he had said what he wanted to say with these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, <laughs> that that remains the craziest part about this. It's like, this this is a success that so many people strive towards and so few achieve. And the, the absolute willpower and self-control to say, I will not let the success go to my head. I will keep this pure. I will keep this untouched. I will keep this exactly the way I want it is so incredibly inspiring. I think a lot of people I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, Bill Watterson was just so selfish or he was so grouchy. And I'm like, I don't I don't see it that way at all. It's this was his baby and he treated it like it was his baby. Alexis. Did you have a favorite visual gag? Oh, I have so many, so many. Um, loved the part where 
uh, they were like hiking in in the woods or whatever, in the backyard probably. And he turns around. He's like, oh, my favorite part about these hikes is that there's so many different wi- types of wildlife. He goes, look, a tiger. And you just see Hobbs absolutely jump out of his skin bugging. And he's like, <laughs> tiger, where? And he's just like exploded. And then the absolute silent look that he just gives Calvin afterwards. I'm like, yeah, I know exactly what he's saying. He's saying, F you, little kid. What in the world? That was cruel. Or I don't even – there's just so many. I feel like every single page is funny. Or like Mm -hmm. when he pops the gum and it covers his whole head. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Every time Hobbs gets out of the dryer. Oh, cotton ball. (laughs) Cotton ball. Beautiful, beautiful cotton ball. I Um, was devastated by the transmogrifier when Calvin comes out as a little tiny tiger. <laughs> and there's that silent panel of them looking at each other and Hobbs just say, words fail me. You know, you know, th- thinking about like those silent panels, I think something that a lot of like comic book artists could really take away from this is just a sense of pacing. And it's really cool when you have that limited space of just you have four panels and four panels exactly to get your story across and you have to fill that space. The way that Watterson fills it is so perfect where it's like, even if there is a panel where they're just standing there doing nothing, it is to accomplish an end. It is to build that comedic timing so that the punchline lands so much better. And it's why I always appreciate when moments like that happen in actual comic books, not actual comic books, like comic books that I've been reading for so long now. It's, I think it's very, very undervalued. I feel like people feel like there has to be an action or a word on every single panel. or It's a wasted panel. And I just, Sometimes you need that space to let the character breathe and to let that moment breathe. It Comic books are a lot like movies in the fact that you dictate the pace at which, at which the audience experiences this. It's not like a novel where someone can rock it through in like a couple of days if you're Dallas or a couple of months if you're me. It's something that the <laughs> it is completely in the hands of the artist. And I think that's no, just something worth pointing out. Well, I also think there's an understanding of rhythm that Bill Watterson yeah. is showing here. Something that Alan Moore talks a lot about is that the rhythm is just as important as any other aspect of narrative artwork. And there mm-hmm. are times that the rhythm is the most important thing that you're doing. And so I think Bill Watterson demonstrates a real mastery of creating not only comedic rhythm, but dramatic rhythm as well. There is a da-da-da-da to all mm-hmm. of these that <clears throat> is really great. Exactly. It's musical. Lexi, that evil panel you were just showing us. <laughs> His little evil face is just so funny to me. And like, I don't know. I keep going back to it, but like, I just can't help but look at these different panels and like think of important parts of our lives growing up. Like, there's specifically one part where they have these big goggles on and they're in this little tiny inner inner tube floaty swimming pool. Mm-hmm. And there's just this super funny picture that we have of Dallas doing the same thing when he was so small. And I just can't not look at that and be like, there's Dallas. There's Dallas pretending he's drowning in an inch and a half of water <laughs> with his full <laughs> face goggles. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Were there any moments that made you laugh out loud? Yes. yes. I... <laughs> Yes. It's like, I've been laughing out loud at this book for years. I think the ones that get me the most are anytime his parents are really exacerbated. Yeah. Though, 
I think the two times where it's like they either the dad or the mom says your son and then the other one has a moment where it's like hold up hold up I remember it you were there um I think those moments always make me chuckle. It's interesting the relationship I have now with the parents versus the relationship I had with the parents back when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, I was 100% determined, 100% certain that these were the worst parents ever and that they hated their kid. I was certain of it. Now looking back, I'm like, this is just every parent. This is a loving family. <laughs> the parents are dealing with a lot of shit, but they're kind of doing it with like, you know, a little bit of a smirk because it's, it's adorable to watch your kid do crazy things. Even if he does flood the house occasionally <laughs> that little boy loves to make a mess in that bath <laughs> or he takes a bath in the toilet spins around a couple of times i cackled i cackled <laughs> at that the him spinning panel i showed addison i was on yeah, the seven train i was on the seven train and people were looking at me busting a gut at calvin and the hobbs i was like i wonder what this looks like the largest man they've seen all day just giggling to himself looking at calvin and hobbs on this train Loves the house. My number one favorite, my number one favorite sequence in all of this though is Calvin zooming down the hill on a skateboard. You see Hobbs standing nervously by a plank on a boulder. Calvin (laughs) hits the plank. Hobbs leaps and then, (laughs) and that's the fourth panel. Is just Calvin being launched into the strat. He's not even on the panel anymore. The sound effect just carries him off panel. The skateboard no longer with him, and Hobbs is looking up, smiling. I lost it at just <laughs> Calvin being trapped in perpetuity out in comic book space. Like, that's <laughs> the end of that panel. He has been launched out of the comic, and he's still floating out there somewhere. <laughs> One of my favorite ones that, like, hit a little too close to home was it, like, starts with them just sitting nicely on this, like, really sunny hill side. And Calvin go- or Hobbes goes, do you think that there's a God? And Calvin goes, I don't know. Somebody, I think so. Somebody's out to get me. I was like, yep, <laughs> I feel that right now. <laughs> somebody's out. It has to be. Somebody's out there to get me. Oh, I love this. I love this boy so much. What was your favorite, like, imaginary, imaginary scenario? Because I love the one where Calvin is explaining how gravity stopped working for him for a little bit and how he had to land in Phoenix. And his dad was so into it. <laughs> Because I think that was one of the first moments where I've seen his dad, like, genuinely invested in what his son is saying. And his mom's just, like, very concerned. I thought that was, I thought that was wonderful. Oh, my gosh. A little bit of a dark horse pick for that. I love the photo shoot that he has with Hobbes. That he shows his dad. And his dad's like, this all of Hobbes. And Calvin, even looking at the pictures, is like, get a load of this one. I was like, (laughs) that rules. Never change, little king. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I know it's it's not imaginary. It's very, very visual. But when his mom dresses him up as an onion. And it says it says, Thanks for waiting for the bus with me, Hobbs. I feel like an idiot in this onion suit. I'll be glad when this stupid play is over. <laughs> and he goes, Oh no, run for your life, a produce truck. <laughs> I love it. I love it so much. (laughs) (laughs) There's like three pages of this damn onion suit. I can't. 
I, I, oh my gosh, oh. I was feeling for him so hard because literally <laughs> that would be like my worst nightmare is to be in a production of something, have to go to the bathroom and then get stuck in there and completely yes. miss out on my line. It was so, I loved that the punchline that week was just that he finally got his line. Yeah. <laughs> It, it's like out of context that it really doesn't fit. But reading through that entire story, it's the the best moment, the absolute best moment. He was so proud, too, when he got home and he let his mom know. Yeah. <laughs> I love I want to come back to the out of context. It doesn't hit as hard. But before I get to that, I love when he's shouting at his parents. His mouth makes a 90 degree angle. He just he's got a top mouth that's flat. And then his bottom mouth is just a gape in this 90 degree angle that cracks me up. If you just flip through this book, you'll see what I'm talking about. With this kid oh, yeah. just hollering. He always cracks me up. But something that I found so interesting was that so Bill Watterson famously did not ever license Calvin and Hobbes. There is no licensed Calvin and Hobbes merch. Not even printouts of the actual comic on anything. You cannot get a coffee mug with the Calvin and Hobbes strips around it that is legal. And at first, I thought I was agreeing with this interviewer that's like, well, that not even the strips printed on something. He said, no, I don't want them removed from their context. I don't want them commodified. And at first I was like, "Okay, like I I like your chutzpah guy, but whatever. But the more familiar I became with Calvin Hobbes, the more I saw that it really was a singular work. And that, Mm -hmm. yes, there might be some highlight strips that float around the internet that are fun to giggle at. This really is an ongoing narrative where characters learn and grow and change. And it would seem as silly as pulling a random page or random paragraph out of a book and being like, this is what this is, you know? It's like, no, Mm -hmm. you should read the whole thing. You should take in the whole piece of art. Thank goodness people don't pull random quotes out of things and just plaster yeah, them everywhere. No. But, but, you know, I am just saying, if you just read the first sentence in The Gunslinger, you got it. That's the Dark Tower. Oh, that's my the gosh. Whole thing. That's the greatest <laughs> First sentence. line ever? Yeah. So I just read this Rick Flag chapter in The Stand. That, oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. Where he, like, jumps up and then he, like, lands straddling this dude. And he starts to, like, choke him out to be like, did you give me my paperwork and my book? And I was like, this man is wild. I am so I'm just getting to the part where like we've had our horrible, terrible pandemic moment. And Mm -hmm. that was kind of hard to read. I'm not going to lie. Where I was like, damn, it's Mm -hmm. gonna be like a hundred pages of everyone dying and everything sucks. All right. We're going to power through. But now we're getting to like, apparently the devil's here. I don't know. (laughs) Once the pandemic, the pandemic is not the, the main event. Once the pandemic is gone, and what comes after, that is when the stand really starts to, to kick in. And that's when the good shit happens. And that's when you're like, okay, good versus evil. Let's go. I can I can work with this. Yeah, make that settlement. Nothing bad will happen. I just read the chapter where the trash can man blew up those giant the oil refinery. <laughs> that was the chapter yeah. I just finished. What a sentence oh out of context. Right? The trash can man blew up the oil refinery. It sounds like a, la- a line from a Bruce Springsteen song. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lexi, passing it back over to you. Talk to stand. us a little bit. <laughs> yes, read the stand. I but can't. all 
It's okay. It. I'm sure it's only like a 40-hour audiobook. You can do this. <sighs> I've got to finish all 12 of the other books I've started in the past three months. Oh, you'll my, be fine. That's like a after week. After my New Year's resolution was to read one book a month. Now I have three unfinished books. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven help me. <sighs> I'm having a real moment. I'm reading The Stand and League of Extraordinary Gentlemen at the same time. And I was like, I don't know why, but this feels like a hate crime towards women, but I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Probably is. During that's Women's a... History Month, nonetheless. Yeah, that's a double feature if I've ever heard one. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, I've given up Stephen King for Women's History Month. I'll come back to it in April. <laughs> I'll let you guys know. We're going to make a wrap around. Gonna wrap I've around. also <laughs> also given up DC Comics in March in honor of Women's History Month. So thanks for making me read Watchmen next week, guys. That's mm-hmm. fantastic. I would like to apologize for being the one that started the derailment. We really were on track this episode. <laughs> and I'm willing to come forward as the troublemaker. I am sorry. <sighs> we can return okay, to the subject. Lexi, returning to subject, there's a lot of fun character dynamics in this in this book. Between Calvin Hobbes, of course, Calvin and his parents, um, Calvin and Susie. What was your favorite? Oh. Who did you like seeing this dork inter- interact with the most? I loved Susie. Their initial like introduction to each other, I can't exactly remember how it goes, but I just remember like thinking to myself, like, oh yeah, this is gonna be good. She better show up quite a lot. Like there's another strip where he like catapults 50 snowballs at the back of her head and misses every single time. And you just see her little head pop up over like the edge of the hill. It's like all that preparation and you couldn't even hit me once and then just goes away and i'm like what a queen what a queen i just feel like she's just so funny and so normal compared to his chaos they're pretty fun mm-hmm. together in the same couple of panels i i love Susie so much she is a character who calvin like constantly is trying to just absolutely hound on and she returns it in force. I think mm-hmm. one of my favorites is when he threw something at her and she returns it post haste because she's carrying a lacrosse stick. Yep. And yep. Um, the other one was she dunks him into a giant snowball. Which oh. He's like giving her all this grief and she just walks up, just picks him up like he's nothing and just deposits him where he belongs. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this 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 girl is a queen. She's mm-hmm. going to grow up. Oh, and I love their like their house fantasies where she's like, by the way, I'm going to be the CEO. I see businesswoman. So great. Like this woman's going to grow up to be president someday. She's it's a little Addison. It is. That's just my Addison. wife in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. That is probably how she played house growing up. <laughs> I, when Calvin is like, I'm making Susie a Valentine, and you're reading along the panels, you're like, oh, like he's really doing it. And then the last panel is him writing Susie, I hate you, drop dead. <laughs> Calvin. <laughs> Calvin going straight for a terms of service violation. Thanks, oh, Calvin. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking there's not a lot in this that really dates it. But a lot of the insults are definitely a little bit harsher than I would expect. (laughs) Like, we can't, after the internet came around, you can't just tell someone to kill themselves anymore. But Calvin's (laughs) just like, I hope everyone drops dead. (laughs) I hope you're all dead tomorrow. Thank you. I hope you joke. Thanks. (sighs) We have a ton of listener questions. I saw that. I'm hyped. I suppose we can get into those. Let's do it. Okay, our first one 
Actually, I'm going to let Dallas read the first one because there's no name with it. Love it. Hey, y'all. Love the show. Thanks, Anonymous. Would each of you describe yourself as a Calvin or a Hobbes? Ooh. I say we do it for each other. Oh. And what would Dallas be? This is... I can see both. I can see both. I mean, he's a big man. There's room for both. (laughs) Depends on the podcast day. I'm going to... You know what? I'm going to go against what I think I should. I'm going to put him as a Hobbes. I was going to say the same thing, actually. Because if I was taking a math test and he was sitting right there next to me, I would definitely ask him for the answers, even though I'm sure I wouldn't be getting the correct ones. Yeah. Yeah. So I I appreciate... Dallas's wisdom. Absolutely. Absolutely. He also seems like the type of guy that would jump on the plank and send you flying on a skateboard. <laughs> He's also taller than me, and I would step on his tail. Yeah, there you go. That was so good. There's the scariest, grossest caterpillar I've ever seen. <laughs> you just have no appreciation for physical comedy. <laughs> um, Dallas, who is Lexi? Oh, she's absolutely Calvin. She's Calvin 100%. <laughs> She's small and fierce. Yep, that checks out. And full of shit. Full of shit. Yeah, I'm full of shit. Perfect. The tailors are solved. So um, I'll just, I don't know. Who's the the tertiary character? (laughs) Listen, you're our grumpy mom. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Susie. I love Calvin and Hobbes' mom. She was awesome. The parents are a lot more fleshed out than I thought they were before. Oh, you're, wait, you're the babysitter that is keeping. A, you're sending us. Oh my god! In the garage, someone threatening to throw you in the basement when she opens the door and just very, very casually threatens them with the basement, like straight faced. <laughs> I'm like, that's a psychopath, but I kind no. of respect it. I kind Remember of respect that. The bed is a privilege. <laughs> oh my gosh! Okay, well, I'm gonna put myself down as a Hobbs because Absolutely. I can. Absolutely. You are a Hobbs. You absolutely you are both, a Hobbs. You both are the Hobbs to my Calvin. Thank you. I will be the small, spicy one, and you can be the yeah. tall, gentle one. Sweet. If I ever saw either one of you walking up to my front door, I would 100% pull a cover of this book and just launch myself out the front door at you. Yeah, there you go. Did you I'm know a hugger. that was based on Bill Watterson's cat? Yeah. Bill Watterson's cat would dive bomb him, which made me feel happy because my cat dive bombs me. She is like, Shoes. no, not in a nice way. She'll be like, I'm <laughs> hunting your calves. You'll just be like walking through the house and all of a sudden it's an episode of Animal Planet with the world's smallest tiger and she does your calf is a bison. I'm just lucky that when I visited, your cat didn't eat me in my sleep. She just yeah, she laid on my you. head in mine. She was so cool. near death experience. She's a gangster gangster all right second question this is from marcus and thank you marcus for writing in in the comic bill watterson complains a lot about tv and mainstream media do you think his complaints are still relevant today also is the tyrannosaurus and f-14s panel the funniest comics panel ever made thanks marcus um i think bill watterson would have a heyday or he would have a hoot talking about tiktok and twitter when the panel that says such and such, or Mark said that 
religion is the opiate of the masses. What do you think that means? And said, Karl Marx hadn't seen television. Or no, then the TV says Karl Marx hadn't seen anything yet. I was like, big oof. Big oof. And you, TV, haven't seen anything yet. I was at Creed yesterday, and there was a girl sitting next to me watching TikToks on full volume the whole time. She was watching both screens, and I was like, send us all to hell. (laughs) I'm sorry, could you repeat that? I had something absolutely crazy in my ear. We were in the movies. Yeah, and was it playing? And she was, just was the movie watching. playing? The movie was playing. The whole two hours of the movie, she just watched TikTok on full blast, just scrolling. Not even a headphone. Criminal. You're an incredibly patient and kind gentleman. Wow. Because if that was me, she'd be dead. Remember I would how- be in jail. Dallas, remember how we absolutely <clears throat> got murdered in a movie because you decided to eat a styrofoam cup? Yeah, <laughs> we were destroyed in that movie. The whole family. Oh, I've I've roasted people for. I hate seeing horror movies in cinema because there's always someone who has to talk back to the screen, and it bugs the shit out of me because I came to a horror movie to get spooked, and nothing ruins the atmosphere more than you yelling at the main character telling them what to do. I refuse to see horror movies in cinema. I cannot do it because I would, I would kill. I'm, I'm gentle. I'm a gentle giant. I will kill when threatened though. I will, I will lash out. So that's incredible. And I want, (laughs) no, you go. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say, do you think his critique is still relevant today? Do you think that we are spending too much time in front of screens Do you think that television and film are worse for us than other kinds of art forms? I would, I love to hear your honest opinions about that. Yes. I would say it's a bit of a mixed bag. I think it's not an issue of the medium itself. I think it's an issue of control. Interesting. I feel like it's, Enough to where it's like it can be an addiction and some people do have the addiction to it. But I think it's still a valid art form. It's still a valid place where wonderful, wonderful art comes from. And in the age of digital streaming, I think it's become certainly a bit more challenging at times to control your time on and off it. I think it all comes... I think the struggle they had back then is the same struggle we're having now, where it's just learning to balance the real world and what you can see on the screen. So in a lot of ways, I think it's very, very similar. I think something I'm working on right now is having a discerning eye for art and content. I went through my comic book pull list this week, and I really, really scaled back because there are so many excellent comics that I have never read and I realized Mm -hmm. I was reading a lot of content based off of momentum and I wanted to take that time and money and invest it into art that can change my life right art that can inspire me instead of just entertain me I really like I've been referencing Alan Moore a lot I was gifted by my mother-in-law Alan Moore's BBC Maestro course it's like three hours of Alan Moore just talking about writing and storytelling, and it's phenomenal. 
And in it, he he's talking about writing, but I think we can sub in the word art here, where he said, art is not merely to entertain. Art can change the world. And so you as an artist should approach your craft with the intent to change hearts and minds because art is one of the only things that has ever done that in the history of mankind. That if you truly say something in an impactful enough way, the world will change in a more permanent way than any other force could ever do. And I think that there is a lot of art that is entertaining and temporary. And I ultimately, I don't think that is wrong, but I do think that there is a higher caliber. And I would argue that Calvin and Hobbes is a higher caliber mm-hmm. where it is something that can change your life and your outlook on the world. If you interact with it in the right way. Hmm. Interesting. I have <clears throat> some things I would like to ask you, but we can ask them off camera. Just because we have so many questions to get through. Yeah. Do both of you have both of you seen the Tyrannosaurus in F14's comic strip? I, I have. I don't think I can pull it off the top of my head. I don't think I have. Or maybe I'm not remembering correctly. I posted it yesterday. I will send it to you in just a second, Lexi. But in the meantime, would you be willing to read the next question for us? Yes. I was going to say no, but then I was like, well, you're the one that asked. So I'll say yes. <laughs> Well, thank you. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, dear Collective, I'm so happy that you're talking about Calvin and Hobbes. I was absolutely obsessed with this series as a kid and had all those big paperback collections that were very well loved by the time I grew up. Years later, reading them as an adult made me realize just how mature the humor and references were and how much stuff went over my head as a kid. It also has maybe the best ending for a comic ever with our duo riding off into endless possibility. My questions to you are, number one, what is your favorite recurring alternate identity of Calvin's? Number two, were there any moments that struck you as suddenly relevant to your life right now? I find this to be what makes Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts timeless. Number three, and would you like and would you like race down a hill in a red wagon with me? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then number four. Also, I don't care what anyone says. Hobbes is alive and it's not just Calvin's imagination. He's real to me. Damn it. See you in the funny pages. Matt Draper. Thanks, Matt. Calvin is how yeah. slow. I think one of my favorite things that I read that Bill Watterson was very, very adamant about was that he didn't want it to be explicit that Hobbes was imaginary, that he was just part of Calvin's mind. He wanted it to feel more like, um, he goes on to quote, like, the Wizard of Oz, because he's like, if it's something like that, where it's like, you can say it's definitively one way or another, you lose something special, because it feels like, what was the point of the experience if we know all along it was this very mundane, everyday thing? Mm -hmm. And I really, really like the idea of Hobbes being just as alive as Calvin is. Because that's how it's portrayed in the story. That's how it makes the most sense. I'm okay with... I like... As a kid, I definitely approached it with like, Oh, this is just his imaginary friend. Whatever's happening here isn't really happening in real life. But I think approaching it from that more 
fantastical outlook gives it a much deeper experience. I feel like for me, um, Hobbs always felt like a Toy Story toy. Yes. Like he for sure is alive. And he just likes hanging out with Calvin, so he'll just be alive with Calvin. But nobody else. That's why nobody else knows he's there. So that's just how I always processed it. I was like, yeah, he for sure is real. <laughs> I like that. I like that connection. Dallas, is Hobbs real for you? Absolutely. Hobbs is real. I really liked in an interview I read, Bill Watterson talked about Hobbs as the actualization of the fact that your reality and someone else's reality are just as real as each other. Mm-hmm. That Hobbs is real to Calvin. He's not imaginary. He is his real friend. And in that exact same moment, Hobbs is a stuffed animal to Susie when they're together in the same room. And neither of them is wrong. And I think while we have seen negative consequences to that kind of thinking in recent years of like everybody's opinion is just as right as everyone else's. There is no truth. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a very healthy core there that someone else's reality is just as real and important to them as yours is to you. And if we all treat each other with respect and kindness and try to validate those things, the world will be a happier and better place. I agree. What was the other? Hold up. I got to pull up the. The first question was what's your favorite reoccurring alternate identity of Calvin's like his little spaceman or any of the other ones that exist because mine's a spaceman. That's all I can think of. (laughs) Yeah. I can only think of spaceman spiff at the moment. You don't like the little noir detective. So (gasps) funny. I forgot about that one. What is his name? Give me 30 seconds. Talk about spaceman spiff and I'll pull up the name of the noir detective. Yeah, I don't think the Nora Detective's in this volume a lot. I think he pops up a lot later, but... Tracer Bullet is his name. Okay, got it. The dialogue on Tracer Bullet killed me. Spaceman's Biff has all the the pure sci-fi campiness that I've really come to appreciate in the last couple weeks going through... um, so much all-star Superman. <laughs> just <laughs> I like that era of sci-fi where everything was brightly colored, everyone had fishbowl helmets and the and the ray guns that went zap. That's exactly. peak sci-fi aesthetic and gritty realism that has seeped into the genre is just poison to me. I miss sci-fi camp. So S- Spaceman Spiff is definitely welcome. Mm-hmm. Agreed. That's how the future is, and nobody can change my mind. Exactly. Also, I loved like the immense detail in those panels just for mm-hmm. him to be like zipping around his living room at the very last one. I thought that was always so funny. It's always so great. I think this is the intro we see here of um, Bill Watterson really having a di- uh, like contrasting art style in some of his um, specifically his Sunday strips. Where it's like he has the time to get a little bit more creative, a little bit more detailed. The dinosaurs that he draws in this volume in these early two years are very, very different than the dinosaurs that he draws later on, like in that Tyrannosaurus in F-14s. Here it's very much just stereotypical giant lizard. He got scary accurate for the time with a lot of the dinosaurs a lot of the dinosaurs he drew later and he would just up that detail for all these um, imaginary scenes and I think that's 
speaking of like just experiencing this whole thing, having read through this entire strip at least once before, it's something I didn't realize was a progression, but I really wish I could go back and read some of the later strips just to see how into it he got towards the end. Oh, and um, I think, wait, hold up. I'm going to pass off. Were there any moments that struck you as suddenly relevant to your life right now? I find this is what makes Calvin and Hobbes and Peanuts timeless. The one that came to mind for me, I'll let you go first, Alexis. Sorry. <laughs> I was just going to say the one that like really smacked me in the head. I was like, oh, that's a little too close to home was the is there a God panels. <laughs> and it goes, somebody's out to get me for sure. And I was like, yeah, I'm feeling that right now. So those ones made me chuckle a little bit extra hard this week. But who knows? Maybe next week would be a different answer. <laughs> I really love when Hobbes says, you know what I like about summer days? They're just made for doing things. And then instead of a third and fourth panel, there's one long third panel that says, even if it's nothing. And Calvin says, especially if it's nothing. And they just take the time to rest. And something that I have been wrestling with a lot recently is like hustle culture in New York Mm -hmm. City is killer. Like they... They take pride in being that city that doesn't sleep and they want you to do 50, 60 hour work weeks to like prove that you're something, you know, and I have found a lot of strength in putting up boundaries about what I want my life to be like and I don't have to measure my success as a person against these arbitrary capitalist driven archetypes and standards right that my days are fulfilled and special as long as i am doing the things that are fulfilling and special to me and so that peaceful moment of them not feeling like they were wasting a summer day but that they were enjoying Mm -hmm. it in the special way that they wanted to was meaningful to me this week That was a beautiful answer. Thank you for sharing that. I was, I think for me, it's the, the entire story sat with me for the like 13 years since I read it last, but you know, the dead raccoon story at the end, that lesson they took away from that, where it's like death is something that's completely natural, just a part of life, just so long as you don't do it. And that just appreciation for what you have in the moment. And I think that's it's been constantly on my mind for the last couple years but it's just appreciating everything around you while you have it i think that's every every time that bill waterson's like hey instead of a funny this week i'm gonna just kind of vent some of my own um existential crises onto the page i think those are the moments that hit me much harder as an adult than they did as a kid again to return to the alan moore well something i saw in this that Alan Moore talked about was he said, your responsibility as a writer is to develop a perspective and write to that perspective. And I think that Bill Watterson did that very well, where he had a view on the world that was unique to Bill Watterson. And it's in these impactful panels that we all just mentioned 
you can see his worldview in it. You can see his perspective. These jokes are only funny because these are things that Bill Watterson thinks about and then puts into his artwork. And if he was just doing slapstick gag after slapstick gag after slapstick gag, which are great, I don't think Calvin and Hobbes would have the staying power that it does because Bill Watterson had such a vital lens on American culture and masculinity. Absolutely. Um, Anything else to add for that question, Lexi? No, I agree with y'all. Let's see. Just to go off of the best ending for a comic ever, I'm not sure if you two have read the ending for Calvin Hobbes. It's really, really beautiful in its simplicity. We actually, I couldn't find it this week, but we do have, my dad kept his copy of that final strip. So we have that entire funny pages from that day somewhere out in my garage. And it was really, really cool because our paper put in a bunch of um, fan-made strips and just imagine just everyone imagining how this how the story ended for them and so many of them were so so good there were some where it's like um calvin was just moving away there were some where it's like calvin grew up and put hobbs away there was somewhere calvin gave hobbs to his own kid one day there it's one of the most emotional pages of a newspaper i've ever read in my entire life it's crazy how much people adored and wanted to show their respects for the strip when it ended that makes my heart happy. Oh, that's like the end of Toy Story three. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. But it's actually speaking oh. of Matt Draper. He recently mm-hmm. called Toy Story three the Schindler's List of Toy Story, and that <gasps> made me laugh real hard. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I can see it, but all th- he's out of line. But he's right. <laughs> he shouldn't say that, but he ain't wrong. <laughs> okay. Calvin and Hobbes question. Hi, all. Forgive the scholarly questions. I've got a deep love for Calvin and Hobbes and early non-superhero comics history. There's some wild stuff to learn then. A lot of new readers of Calvin and Hobbes will encounter it on the internet or read it in a collection. What influence did appearing in newspapers do to change the format of the strip, if at all? And Watterson famously fought against animated or live action adaptations and merchandisings. Do you agree with Watterson that Calvin and Hobbes could not be adapted? If, If yes or no, why? Thank you, Andrew. Well, thank you for writing in, Andrew. I'm going to pass it to Lexi first. Um, I'm gonna we're going to tackle that second part first. Just okay. talking about, do you agree with Watterson that this couldn't be adapted? I I agree that it shouldn't ha- like it should not be because mm-hmm. I feel like what they have with this being in its most simple form and what it's supposed to be. I mean, we kind of mentioned it earlier. Like it's just exactly right. They did it right the first time, and I don't think like. I don't know. I feel like I'm the type of person that in my mentality, I'm like, not everything has to be a movie or a show. Like, sometimes I just want to read something and just let it live in that universe. So, Mm -hmm. and I've had that with multiple different types of media that I've consumed over the past couple of years. So I wholeheartedly agree. Like, just let it be. Just let it be good at what it's good at. Thank you. (laughs) I'm curious. You go. No. I'm curious about animation for Calvin and Hobbes. That is Mm -hmm. the one that in the interviews I read, Bill Watterson was the most open to was the idea. As long as he could be very involved, the idea of Calvin and Hobbes in animation. And Mm -hmm. I think that could be interesting. 
it could be a cute children's TV show, but still. I think ultimately the right decision was leaving it alone. Yeah. Agreed. It's one of those things where it's like the difference is can it be adapted? Can it be adapted versus should it be adapted? Where it's like, I think we're at a point now artistically with animation where you could definitely find a style that would emulate a lot of this very accurately. But so much goes into that that is beyond control. Like if Bill Watterson were to do that, unless there were some really serious stipulations, that would take a lot of this out of his hands from just not just the storytelling perspective, but also just marketing, everything else. The moment he steps outside that box, I feel like everything that he's fought so hard for would be gone. So it's like for the spirit of it, I don't think it can be. I don't think it can be adapted because I think a lot of that specialness has stayed because it has stayed so far away from everything else. Also, my unpopular opinion is that ultimately something is always lost in adaptation. I do not think that adaptation is as worthwhile of a pursuit as just trying to create something new for the medium that it is intended. Interesting. I'm not going to say anything else, just interesting. That's my old man opinion. <laughs> no other thoughts. Um, as for that first part that Andrew asked about, um, what influence did appearing in newspapers do to change the format of the strip at all? Um, I think, I mean, other than just the basic, the rudimentary, you have a specific size that you have to hit. You have to hit four panels for your weeklies and you have a certain amount of space you can work with in your Sundays. I think other than that, it didn't really limit because in the um, collection, he actually goes on to talk about how like after he got used to it for a while, the typical, I don't know how many panel strips Sundays that he was doing he starts experimenting with the style of that. He starts experimenting with the um, the floor of that. But he has to keep that same space. So there's physical limitations. And he mentioned a bit about them having to chop up and squeeze some of his images just so they would fit in that space. I think other than that, that's that's really all I can think of for those limitations. I think something that's really vital in comic books and it comes from comic strips is that with these being on a daily deadline there is a certain in the moment diary news reporting aspect to them where comic books unlike any other medium have a way of talking to their specific moment and while calvin and hobbes stays away from things like political commentary or pop culture reference it does serve as an interesting time capsule to what Bill Watterson was thinking about at any given time. Whereas a novelist mm-hmm. can be thinking about something and then they spend a year writing that novel and then it takes a year to get that published. You end up getting their thoughts on something from two years ago. Whereas Bill Watterson thinks about death and two weeks from now, you're going to be seeing a series of panels about Calvin and Hobbes thinking about death. And I think that that is something that's really incredible about the comic book industry and the comic book art form. That is something absolutely crazy to think about and 100% true. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for bringing that up. That's really cool. Such a great point. 
Thanks. Um, yeah. And thank you, Andrew, for writing in. We really appreciate it. Dallas, you want to read the next one? Yeah. Uh, no more scholarly questions, everyone. That's not really the kind of show we do here. Um, we are um, silly billies. Yeah. If you could ask us more about like the DCU, the MCU, um, what we think of things like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, that's a little more our speed. Yeah. So Let's I would see. really like to hear all of our thoughts about the latest schlock. Um, we're going to be moving away from talking about comics. We're selling out to get clicks and we will exclusively be talking about comic mm-hmm. book film adaptation moving forward. Yeah. Joy. Lexi, what's Carson's latest thoughts on Kang? <laughs> oh, hell. There's a lot. He keeps asking if we're going to do an episode. And I was like, I don't know if we need to open that can of worms with you. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's let's get moving. Dennis? Okay. Yep. It's me. Kelvin and Hobbs. Did you have a favorite snowman gag? I always like those. Also, as a kid, I always wanted a transmogrifier. I thought it would have been really funny, in quotes, to change into a girl. A thought I wouldn't understand until much later. <laughs> Love, Juniper. Love that Well, for I'm you, glad Juniper. you found your transmogrifier, Juniper. That makes my heart happy. <laughs> Thanks, Juniper. Yeah, that's, um, that's a vibe. That's a big Ooh, vibe. Favorite snowman gag. There's a lot of those. I went down a rabbit hole yesterday. I love when the dad pulls up and sees the carnage of all the snowmen oh in my the front gosh. yard. And he's like, what is happening? And then he goes and asks if his wife's making tuna casserole for dinner. That's what's happening. Yeah. Because all of I, them are like dying slow deaths. <laughs> funny and funny enough, the um, the snowman gags were the ones, they were the first strips of Calvin and Hobbes I saw because my dad got them in a work email and he just showed them to me once and I'm like, what is this? He's like, it's Calvin and Hobbes and we have one of the books so he gave me one of the books so I could look through it. I'm like, this is absolutely hilarious. I love it. Thank you. I love them um, anytime I can. The one where a cannonball goes through and it just has the big oh, hole missing hole. in the center. I love it. The snowman gags are so great. Yeah. No, I I mentioned my favorite earlier where the one snowman's eating a snow cone and Calvin goes, I can't remember exactly what he said, but he's just like, it's a morbid affair. And there's like another (laughs) snowman laying on the ground with like ice cream scoops out of his back. It's a good one. (laughs) It's very funny. I'm like, you were like five. Actual psychopath behavior. Love it. So Um, Next question. Hello, C. Oh, actually, Lexi, you read this one because I want to read the last one. You got it, Chief. All right. Hello, CMX Collective. I'm overjoyed you all are covering Calvin and Hobbes. No joke. This series taught me to read and was my first comic. It means a lot to me, and my grandma had the entire collection, which I have read to death multiple times. We understand. As for the question, do you have snacks with... Wait. Do you have snacks while reading comics or not? And if so, which is your favorite? What's the best comic food? Okay. Okay. Do you have snacks while reading your comics? Yes. Yes. Um, what is your sometimes. comic snack, Anne? Um, this is from um, Hudson Davis. Oh, um, sorry. Oh, it's okay. From Hudson Davis. Um <laughs> I try not to snack when I'm reading, especially if I'm reading physicals because I don't like getting salt yes. or anything on the covers. Yeah. Definitely don't read 
while eating like strawberries or anything juicy. Um, I was eating um, some goldfish when I was reading this yesterday. So I think that's a pretty solid. You want something dry, something that's not going to get everywhere. Yes. But not too I was crummy. eating peppermint JoJo's from Trader Joe's while I was reading this. See, I read digital, so I can do whatever the F I want. <laughs> Lexi's over here with like Doritos and, and had a cheese piece of puffs in the other. She's like, I don't had give a piece a of cake flying. and a Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Dips a Dorito in some chocolate syrup. <laughs> <laughs> like, hell yeah. Risk free, like, baby. Yeah. My deep sin is that I love reading in the tub. And so a lot oh. of my books have little water splatters on them. Ooh, yeah, I feel that. Ooh, that's a that's a sin. You're gonna have to explain that one to God one day. Hey, to Jeff. This is a better conversation than I have with most people. Some people have killed people. <laughs> <laughs> you could do worse. <laughs> He's like, you got your books wet. It's <laughs> break time. He's like, keep going. I got an hour to kill until my next appointment. <laughs> I, I've i never dropped a book in the tub, but I did leave one out on our pool deck once when it started to rain. It was the Star Wars Episode Three Visual Dictionary, and I was distraught, and I had to blow dry it. It never recovered. I still have that book. I The amount of times I looked at Anakin's page in that and just thought, mm-hmm. like, gender. Like, I want to look this way. Like, I didn't... Obviously, I didn't say that. I didn't have those words yet. But, like, <laughs> little me was just, like, I want to be that. Yeah. And then there's me. I was looking at the page of General Grievous and his anatomy and be like, mm, gender. <laughs> You're like, I want to be that. Cyborg. And this is how Anne tells us she's actually getting four arms. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's my next surgery. I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> oh, you think I can't? I can't. Hell. I can't. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Final question is from a very special writer in because I bugged him persistently until he actually did this and he got the sentence in like the last half an hour. So I really appreciate it. But this one is actually from my brother. So thank you, Austin, for writing in and acknowledging the podcast for once. I can't wait for you to not listen to it. It's going to be great. I love you. Um, Austin writes, hey. Just just hey, just flat hey, because that is exactly the person he is. The question I want to submit is this. It's known that Calvin gets in trouble a lot with his parents, what with refusing to eat his mother's meals, breaking and ruining furniture and such, as well as never seeming to listen to his parents. At many points, we see his parents yelling and disciplining him over many of his antics time and time again, even at some point saying that it wasn't all my decision, and all I know is that I offered Tobias a dash... How do you say that fucking dog's name? Dashend? Weenie dog. A weenie dog. But no, you said, despite this, there are still many scenes we get to see where his parents really do show that they love him, like the time Calvin's father spends the entire night looking for Hobbes out in the wilderness. So my question is this. Do you believe that Calvin's parents are good parents, or do they lose their temper a bit too much? Thanks, Austin. Ooh. I personal anecdote about looking for Hobbs out in the woods. I remember being on a family vacation and my cousin Cole was probably like six, five or six. And he, he wasn't like a, he wasn't a very verbal kid. 
But he had this toy that was squeeze the pliers from Handy Manny. And he was carrying it around and he just kept saying like, squeeze, squeeze. And there was an episode of Handy Manny where Manny would lo- lost his tools. And then the episode was like going back to find them. And so Cole to recreate that would just like huck squeeze into the woods and then like couldn't find it. And so then he'd loop his dad Rick in to come look for it over and over and over and over the course of a weekend, I watched Rick look for Squeeze maybe 763 times. And I just I saw a man on the edge, but filled with love, just traipsing around the woods looking for Squeeze again. And that stuck with me. And I think that Calvin's dad looking for Hobbs is a similar kind of quiet love for his kid. I definitely agree. I feel like the things that I saw throughout the the read was definitely just normal parents trying to navigate the fact that they have a crazy child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like the bathtub shenanigans with the mom, the amount of times that he flooded that bathroom. I cannot imagine the the state of those baseboards. But she's like, you know what? I'm rolling with it. This is what it is. <laughs> she just is accepting it. She doesn't know how we got here, mm-hmm. but we're here. I think the thing that I had to remind myself constantly when reading this is that we are getting glimpses at their life. This is not the constant. And it's like every kid's going to be doing these things occasionally that are comic strip worthy, but not all the time. We don't have full days filled out here where Calvin's just being an absolute menace, driving his parents to the point of tears. His parents, from what I, they're still going on dates and stuff. They're still hanging out. They're still going to plays until like midnight. They're living healthy lives. They're having fun with each other. They're just, you see them at their moments where they're the most stressed out. So I think, especially when I was younger, it comes across as just like, oh, these parents hate him. They do not want anything to do with him. But I think there's enough moments where you realize that, yeah, no, these, they're just, they love him. And you're just seeing them at at his craziest moments. And I'm pretty sure everyone with their parents has had those moments where they've pushed their parents just a little bit too far. And if those were the only moments that you saw, you would think that your parents were a little bit crazy too. And yeah, I think there's, there's really subtle moments that I caught this time around. Like when um, Calvin's making his mom dinner in bed or breakfast in bed, and she, he's just like, um, so, um, nonchalant about burning the pan but she gives him that hug and kiss later because he's trying and he freaks out about her being contagious and also his dad having a genuine conversation with him about how he survived in college just off waffles and canned food as he's making waffles beautiful i it's a surprisingly happy healthy family i think i actually i want to return to that panel of calvin taking care of his mom and mm-hmm. loop it back to Matt's question about panels from this that hit you in your life. My wife is incredibly nurturing and kind. And like, I get the tiniest snuffle and like nurse Addie comes out and like does the nines. And there are a lot of times that like when she's not feeling well, I feel like little Calvin being like, it is so hard. Like he says like, it's hard to be a mom to a mom. I was like, it's hard to be the nurse to the nurse of all nurses. 
I was like, I'm so much worse at this than you, but I'm trying so hard. I just, I felt very seen by that panel of him being like, I love you so much, but I'm so bad at this. I'm trying my hardest. It was, it was wonderful. This is, this was a great, great week. I think I loved going through this and going on that trip back. It's something special. And I need to make sure, like, I remember my brother getting this collection, by the way, thank you, Austin, for lending me your definitive, complete Calvin and Hobbes brick to read for this episode. I really appreciate it. Um, I'm going to have to get myself a copy eventually too, because I don't want to get to a point in my life where I feel like I lost this. I want to hold on to this. And even though this weighs like an actual suitcase full of bricks, I think I'm going to get this book eventually. Or maybe I'll just, I hope he's not listening anymore. Maybe I'll just steal it from his room one day when he's not paying attention. He's got a lot of stuff in his room. Things will go missing. It's just, it's just going to happen. Um, I desperately want a copy of the complete Calvin and Hobbes. It's not, I, it does the thing I really appreciate where it lets, it tells you the date that every strip came out. That rules. It's, it's so great. The only thing that would have made it better. My, um, I have a, an essential Foxtrot, which has a lot of Bill Amon's favorite strips. The thing I really love about that one is occasionally he'll throw in commentary where it's like you'll see a strip and he has like a little blurb under it like this is what was going through my mind when I wrote this or this is why I like this one and I wish that this one had that that would if if it did it would be the perfect book but yeah all right anyways I'm I'm good to wrap up if you guys are do you have any final thoughts just thanks for having us read these these are so fun this is like a good little mini break through yeah before what comes next <laughs> yeah it's a sick month but it's a it's a big month it's a, your brains are gonna grow five times their original size <laughs> that's very true um yeah lexi do you want to read us out absolutely here we go if you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week please go follow our twitter account at cmx collective or our tiktok account at the comics collective or you can follow each of us at our personal Twitter accounts at Dallas underscore comics at and comics and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five star review and we will read it off on the show. And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at the comics collective at gmail.com. And join us all next week for our episode on All-Star Superman. This one's going to be... Honestly, I just breathed a huge sigh of relief because for some reason I thought Watchmen was next week. And I was (laughs) honestly honestly going through the day with a little bit of existential dread being like, oh my God. (laughs) There are five Um, weeks in March. Uh, but no, this one I'm really excited. Kind of covered it on the show before, but we're going to go into some pretty decent depth this summer, Yeah. It needs a solo because it's so good. We it's are going absolutely- to read the two definitive superhero stories, in my opinion. Ooh. Back to back. Heavy. I don't think Calvin Hobbes is a superhero story, but you know, I'm, <laughs> I, don't know. I think that's an interesting take. <laughs> Wear a mean cape. <laughs> Do you want to know okay. something crazy that I learned? Mm-hmm. I know this is dangerous territory with what's going on, but 
Alan Moore cited as the main inspiration for his take of superheroes in the real world as Mad Magazine and the comedy strips about superheroes in those, about how silly superheroes would be in the real world. And that just like imprinted on him. He said Mad Magazine was his favorite biggest inspirational comic. I don't know. I don't know why that reaction was so funny. <laughs> That's really interesting. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> wow, Mad Magazine. I can't believe welcome, you wrote Watchmen. Welcome to my internal thoughts right there. Sorry, everyone. I would just slipped out. That's going to be a lot. Woo. Okay, like, listen, if you have any questions about All-Star Superman, ask me because I'm going to refer you to Dallas for all your Watchmen questions. <laughs> Rad. I'll do that. Even though this is Grant Morrison, I can. Uh, I've lived this book for the last week. I, uh, I think I'll read the pirate section this time of Watchmen. Yeah, can we just make a, a pact right here? We're all going to read the pirate section. I don't Alexis, know that there's the parts that we section. don't read. I don't listen, know these listen. things. I just Alexis, read what's Alexis? been told. You'll know. You will be <laughs> reading. You'll be like, "Bitch, what? There's a book in here. There are just regular words." <laughs> And I know in my heart, in my soul, I know you'll go, nope, 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 pictures again. Okay. And we're going to go. And I'm going to be honest with you. That's how I've read it every single time up to yeah, this point. Yeah. <laughs> never read the words. I've never read the pirates. And I'm doing mm-hmm. it this time. I'm reading yeah. the pirates. Say, <laughs> so he knows because he's done it. He knows because I've done it. Everyone skips the pirate section. I don't you think can't, anyone's ever read the pirate section. No, no one has. Everyone just pretends they have. Whatever they tell you the pirate sections are, they've made it up. It's complete bullshit. Totally. Do not right believe in the anyone is wrong. <laughs> tell us how wrong we are. Tell us about how you, you special individual, actually read the pirate section. Wow. What Congratulations. You want a cookie? Yeah. You get a cookie. You read the pirate stuff. All right. We love you all. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.